Welcome back to our story. My name is Matt Stone. I'm here with Dr. Phil Schrader. Phil, how you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. Great. Good to have you, and uh, glad that uh, glad that you, our faithful listeners, have joined us for another week. So. We've got uh, a great beginning to a new series for the summer. We're going to be spending a lot of time this summer in the life of David. And, you know, I think this offers us a unique opportunity to slow down. I think sometimes, particularly with the Old Testament, Phil, you can tell me if this is true for you, but I think particularly in the Old Testament, we tend to rush through the narrative pretty quickly. There's so much of it that that we try to keep things moving. And so we'll read large, large swaths of the Old Testament without slowing down very much to consider some of the, the finer points and finer lessons that are contained therein. So I think this summer represents one of those opportunities to slow down and, and read a little closer. So uh, with that in mind, this coming Sunday, we're going to look at the rise of David, uh, which includes the fall of Saul and the rise of David. But before we get to the rise of David, uh, Phil and I were talking, we think it's really important to, to dig a little bit deeper into Saul's life because Saul's a fascinating guy who gets a bad name. And I got to confess, Phil, he's got a good name. His name means prayed for. Well, his name may have good meaning, but it's, it's, it takes, uh, it's, he doesn't get too much positive things said about him in history. And I'm probably the worst offender on that. I'm pretty tough on Saul, but again, you slow down and read things a little bit slower and you see some different things emerge. That's right. That's right. In the very beginning, after the people insist on having a king, which we'll have talked about in worship this past week, uh, Saul is chosen to be king. And it's a beautiful verse. It says, he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than Saul. Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone else. That's his resume. It is. Right? His resume is tall, dark, and handsome. That is correct. Uh, this does not sound, full disclosure, I, like I said, I'm pretty hard on Saul. This does not sound like a godly king, right? When you think about the people God chooses, tall, dark, and handsome doesn't show up on the list too often. Yes, the outward appearance is what we're basing this kingship on. He looks the part. Yeah, he looks the part and acts the part in the beginning. Oh, most certainly. I mean, he gets off to a pretty good start with one, with one exception. Um, when Samuel, this is in Second uh, Samuel 10, I think. When Samuel comes to anoint Saul, you remember what happens, Phil? So, they can't find Saul <laughs> because he's hiding in the baggage, right? He, he's, for whatever reason, he's afraid to come out, which, you know, to be honest, I think there are times in all of our lives when a lot is asked of us. And it causes us to pause and think, wait a minute, am I, am I ready for that? Am I really re- Do I really want to do this big thing? Fill in the blank for whatever the big thing is. But I think that's kind of the moment that Saul has. So the whole nation of Israel is gathered waiting to anoint their first king who happens to be hiding in the baggage. I, there's, there's some comedy in that for me. Oh, it's a great scene. Yeah, yeah it's a great scene. Um, but, it, but that notwithstanding, he gets off to a pretty good start, don't you think? Yeah, things go pretty well. He, uh, you know, defeats their enemies and does pretty well uh, until um, he gets ahead of himself. 
Yeah, he gets ahead of himself. And, um, you know, through chapter 11, like you're saying, things are going well. In fact, things are so well at the end of chapter 11, it says that all the Israelites rejoice greatly. You get the sense that life is good. You remember those T-shirts, life is good. Uh, and and things are going so well. That and Sammy's like, my work is done yeah. here. Yeah, exactly it's right. It's all good. Exactly I, right. And, and so Samuel's ready to say goodbye. That's exactly right. He says things are going so well. Gosh, maybe God had it wrong the whole time. Maybe this whole king thing really is going to work out. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be great until chapter 13. That's right. And uh, in chapter 13, things take a turn. And this is where what started out well uh, really begins to head downhill. And it really heads downhill quickly. So 13, this is what we were saying earlier, 13 is the turning point for Saul. It's not the breaking point for Saul's kingship, but it is the turning point for him. You remember what happened, right? Well, it's it's a period of impatience, yeah. and it's contrasted to David later on being patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were reminded in Isaiah, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And this is um, one of the things that bugs my wife is sometimes we go to the grocery store, and I will taste something before we're out of the store. You ever do that? That's that's abominable, Phil. You taste it. What do you mean? You, you're opening packages while you're still you in the store? You just never know. I mean, you, you got to check things out. And so... Well, what are you going to do if you don't like it? You're well, going to put it back on the shelf? Buy it. You're already going to buy it, but... You know, and that's one of the things that she gets. I always knew Elizabeth was smart. Yeah. I, I think she's on the right side of history on this one. You know, you're walking halfway through the store and you, you get hungry and you're like, let's see if these chips are any good. They're supposed to be new and improved. We're going to try them. I, I can honestly I can honestly say in my entire life, I, I have never opened something in the store before I bought it. There's a great Joe Namath movie. I've heard of him. Where he goes through the store making himself a sandwich from various accoutrements of the store. It's one of my favorite scenes in movies. Oh, what movie is that? I've never seen I it. I have to remember. It's been a long time um, <laughs> since I saw Joe Namath make a sandwich. And so, I'm not sure I'm not sure how we got here, but but opening things in the store before you've purchased them, I'm not sure this is even legal. And that is the kind of impatience okay. that that David that uh, Saul shows. Uh, he says, um, I, I waited and waited for you and, and you didn't show up. So I forced myself and I offered the burnt offering. Interesting phrase. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Yeah. I like this because what this says, what this says is, um, well, it wasn't my fault. I, I had to force my, I didn't want to, but you were so late, but you were so it's, this is all your fault, Samuel. I, I mean, if you'd have done what you were supposed to do, then I wouldn't have had to make this massive mistake. And the mistake was offering the burnt offering before Samuel arrives. Exactly. And, and Not waiting for the priest. Exactly right. And remember, Samuel, as the prophet of God, it's like saying you wouldn't wait on the word of God to arrive. So you moved ahead of God's word. And yeah, this, I, w- I was sitting there in the sanctuary waiting for you to get there, mm-hmm. and I got hungry, so I had communion. Yeah. On my yeah. own. Yeah, Th- these things don't go well in the Bible. When, when you move ahead of God's Word, when you don't wait on God's Word, things generally don't go well. And that's the turning point in Saul. You get the sense that what starts for Saul as a reluctant leadership then becomes a... Um, uh, I don't know. What's the right word? It, it, it transitions in 13 to a uh, uh, a possessive, 
almost greedy kind of leadership that says, well, I'm, I'm in charge, so we're operating on my timeline. Yes, I have to hold on to the power. And Samuel, you know, is pretty direct with Saul. He says, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Mm. But now, since you got ahead of yourself... Keep that in mind, by the way. Most definitely. Keep this this idea of God establishing an eternal kingdom. Keep this in mind for later in this series. Fascinating. Because as you hear the echo of these words, you'll hear the echo of these words. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people. This is while you're still king. Yeah. God has already chosen the next one. Yeah, I, I think this is the phrase that's um, that's so well known in relationship to David. And if if you're familiar with Scripture, you you know that phrase because it describes David. And what's interesting to me is I forgot that those are words spoken chapters before David appears on the scene. Right before David's even a thought. This is God's desire. God's desire is for a leader after God's heart. Well, it makes me want to page back to uh, the end of Joshua. So if you go back to the end of Joshua before this whole uh, downward spiral of judges mm-hmm. happens, basically Joshua is uh, is leaving the scene and J- Joshua tells them they need to obey God's commandments if they're going to live the good life, as yeah. you've said. If they're going to follow who God is, they need to obey the commandments. The Lord our God we will serve and Him we will obey. And if we will obey his statutes and ordinances, then we will follow into God's good life as we serve him. And that's how Joshua ends. And then here's somebody else who doesn't follow. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful note because we can look at this story and say, well, why does God get so upset? Right. What's the big deal? All Saul did was offer a burnt offering before Samuel got there. And and I'll confess, I don't fully understand the offense in that sure, moment. Sure. I don't understand either the cultural or the religious implications of offering that burnt offering before Samuel arrives. But what's clear is, and agreed upon by everybody there, is that that was a breaking of God's commandment. And to your point, Phil, uh, the, the the our obedience to God's law is the path to, to the good life. That's not a path to... Uh, an oppressed life of servitude, that's the path actually to freedom. And Saul has chosen the opposite path, thus beginning uh, his downward uh, descent uh, away from being God's chosen king. And, you know, it's fascinating to see that the rise of uh, David sort of begins to happen as Saul is falling. Yeah, it happens before. It doesn't wait till Saul has hit rock bottom. Um, you start to see David's ascent before Saul's made it to rock bottom. Yeah, that's really true. And we 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 go on to read about Saul's rock bottom experience. Well, I don't know. Actually, I said he was about to hit rock bottom. He doesn't hit rock bottom until later on in the story. But the thing that that seems to break the story open, if you will, is, uh, is this scene that unfolds in, uh, in second Samuel 15, 
where Saul was given instructions about how to specific fight. Specific instructions. Oh, just very specific instructions. And, and it's another example of, I'm not sure that I fully understand the instruction, but I'm not sure that I need to in this case, because what seems important is Saul almost obeyed. Right. I like the way you put that in our title for this week. It's almost obedience. It's not full obedience. And we've all done that as children in one way or another. We have tried to figure out how to obey the letter of the law, but yeah. looked for that little loophole that can say, you know, I, I didn't kick my sister. You told me not to kick my sister. I did not kick my sister. Mm-hmm. I punched her. Right. It's totally different. That it way. is. Yeah. It's, it's totally different. No, I think it's a great example of what Saul does. And or at least tries to do until Samuel shows up on the scene. And there's just, there's this line that absolutely cuts to the heart. Uh, you know, Saul was supposed to kill all the livestock of this, uh, um, of this people that he was defeating. Uh, but he kept the best of the livestock alive. And Samuel shows up on the scene and says, Saul, did you do what you were asked to do? Mm. And Saul says, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I did everything. Everything's all good. And so you add to it by the lie mm-hmm. on top of the disobedience. Yep. And that's often where we go wrong, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. We, we make things worse. I, <laughs> uh, I got to be careful here. I, and thinking about my own kids, this is one of the things we talk to our kids about, right? Uh, mistakes happen, but you add a lie on top, top of, of the that, mistake. It's yep. always going to be worse. It's always going to be worse. And that's what happens with, with Saul. Samuel says, did you do everything that you were asked to do? Saul says, oh, yeah, no, I did everything that I was supposed to do. And Samuel says, what then is this bleating of sheep that I hear? (laughs) Uh, Which is just such a beautiful line uh, that cuts to the heart for Saul. It says, you didn't do, you did not do everything that you were asked to do. You did some of what you were asked to do, but not everything. And again, I can wonder all day about why is that such a great offense but it's the image or it's the, the idea of obedience as the path to the good life that's on trial here. And uh, for Saul, he's not interested in obedience or at least not full obedience. He wants to make his own path uh, and he wants to be his own leader and his own king, which I think is pretty seductive for us in our time. Uh, I think we're told by the world today you make your own path as leader. You make your own path as king or queen. You make it what you want it to be. And God's over here saying, I'm offering you the path to the good life. Well, and the king was supposed to be the solution to everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. And so if everyone's doing what was right in their own eyes, and then God is there to intervene, and the solution is a king, and then... Uh, the king does what's right in his own eyes. Yeah. It's just more of the same. Yeah, that's right. Now we're coming to the end end of time, but just real quick, I want to rehab Saul's image just a little bit. Okay. Because listen, listen to what Saul says after this indictment from Samuel. Saul says to Samuel, "I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord." And your word, talking to Samuel, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray, pardon my sin and return with me so that I may worship the Lord. What do you make of that? Well, for me, it's the echo of last week's conversation with God and Samuel. God tells Samuel to listen to the people's voice. (laughs) And he doesn't. 
Uh-huh. He basically ignores their voice. And God has to even say it a second time to listen to the people's voice. Mm-hmm. And, a, and he doesn't seem to do that. So I find it interesting here that Saul is listening to the people's voice and popular opinion and not listening to God's voice. See, I'm torn about Saul's response here. Okay. Part of me wants to rehabilitate Saul and say, you know, that sounds like a genuine confession to me. That sounds like Saul saying, gosh, I really screwed up here. And I was afraid of how the people were going to respond. And so I did what they did, but I'm sorry. And so I confess my sin. On the other side, you have just a hint of Saul saying again, well, it's not really my fault. It's not what I wanted to do. This is what the people wanted. It was the opinion poll, and I was following the opinion poll. You know, they forced me to do it. So, you know, what are you going to do? So Peer pressure. I Yeah, I don't know. I can't make heads or tails of it. It's tough to have peer pressure when you're the king. Yeah, well, that's true. There's no, there's no peers for the king. That's right. So that really, Phil, brings us up to the moment that David sort of bursts onto the scene in chapter 16. Um, 15, bursts onto the scene? Well, okay, that's fair. I, do, okay. I don't think that's... It kind of slides into it, the scene. Yeah, it's like, hello, is anybody else out there? We've yeah. tried every every other member of your family. Is there anybody else left? Yeah, okay. And they're like, All right. oh yeah, Cinderella's out there. That's fine. Yeah, no, that's a fair... That's fair. He slides into the scene. Um, and that's really where we're going to focus this Sunday. I got to tell you, for those of you who are interested and, and might do this, when you go back and read 15... I'll tell you, this is one of the more difficult chapters to grapple with and wrestle with. So uh, if you find yourself reading it and uh, and you're troubled by these things, what I want to say is you're not alone. And this is a, a chapter because of what God asks of Saul. This is a chapter that's given a lot of people a lot of pause over the years. So uh, if you can't get over that hump, if, if you find yourself really struggling, reach out. And uh, uh, reach out to, to any of us here at the church or, or somebody that you trust that you read the Bible with and talk through these things. Don't just sit with this rather confusing scene, at least at times. Reach out and we'd love to have a conversation with you about it. That'd be great because we know you've been binge watching Netflix. Why don't you try binge reading First and Second Samuel this week? <laughs> yeah, you, I think this is one of the things you challenged us to do this past Sunday, yeah? That's right. Yeah. So I'm excited for this Sunday, Phil. Is there anything? Uh, is there anything else that would help us get ready for worship this week? Um, I think it's to uh, remember that God doesn't always choose the way that we would, and so um, choosing Saul and choosing David are far different choices, and for far different reasons. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, I hope what you've heard, one of the things you've heard is knowing Saul's story makes it possible to hear David's story well. So I, I hope you'll get a chance to go back and read that story. Uh, friends, thanks for joining us yet again for our story. Real quick before we go, uh, we've changed the, the worship times uh, just this past week. Want to make sure you've got the right times in front of you. So Phil, remind us, who, who is worshiping where and when? Eight o'clock outside communion uh, there in the tree lot. Nine o'clock inside contemporary. Eleven fifteen inside traditional. 
I hope you'll uh, try out those new times and those worship services as Matt and I, for the first time, get to worship twice inside on a Sunday morning with regular worship services. How about that? Uh, these are these are fun days as we. Uh, I, I'm, I was about to say, as we return to normal, I think I'm going to cut that out of my lexicon um, because, well, that's a longer conversation, but I'm excited to move into a new future. What if I say it that way? After 11 months yes. of yeah. wandering in the wilderness. Yeah, we can't, you and I can't return to a normal that we never knew. Amen. So we're going to move into a new future. Friends, uh, thanks for joining us yet again on Our Story. I hope to see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody UMC. Visit us online at dunwoodyumc.org and join us for online worship every Sunday. This Sunday, join us outside for worship in the parking lot at 8 a.m. or inside for worship in the sanctuary at 9 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to see our videos on YouTube. Finally, visit us online and click Sign Up for Emails under the Connect tab to get announcements delivered to your inbox every week. We hope you'll join us and add your story to ours.